Hello and welcome to the Raptors React Podcast on Sportsnet. I'm not even a fan. I'm your host, Ben Moose, speaking to you after the Toronto Raptors. Suffered one of the worst losses of the season, um, losing by a score of 118 to 93. Especially of late, the Raptors have been fairly competitive. Um, games have been pretty close. Even if they lose, a lot of those have been, um, you know, bitterly fought. Rarely have you seen games where the Raptors aren't even in it at all in the fourth quarter. And uh, that's what happened here tonight. The, the Cavaliers um, jumped all over the Raptors at the start of it, had 34 points in the first quarter. I thought, um, you know, the Raptors having beaten the Cavs three times this year, um, when you look at the pattern of some of those games, the sort of shape um, in, in which the Raptors were able to collect those victories, it was on defense. It was holding Donovan Mitchell to half his season average. He averages like 30 for the season. Raptors are holding him to like 17 a game. Garland was also missing in action for, I believe, two of those. Um, and then even one of the ones that he played, he wasn't as effective. Garland has clearly found a rhythm. I mean, he is just one of the best passers in the league, one of the best pure point guards in the league. Really, um, I mean, just strictly as a basketball fan, it's very fun watching Garland um, just serving up lobs to these guys and, and very, very quick, shifty playmaker for a guy who's, like, still, I think only 23. Like, man, he, he's very good. Plus, 39 for Darius Garland tonight. So he's tough. Um, and yeah, the Raptors just weren't ever locked in defensively. And, um, you know, offensively, look, the Raptors got um, worse as the game went on, let's just say. I think early on it was like, okay, Pascal's hitting some threes and, you know, he's able to get to a couple of his spots and, you know, we'll see if the rest of them kind of join him. That's been kind of the pattern here. It was the same pattern against Detroit, for example. And I wouldn't say anyone really joined Pascal in the Detroit game, but at the same time, the Raptors were able to be good defensively. Also, you know, let's be honest, it was Detroit. This is Cleveland. This is a team that is 39 and 25. Um, They're contending to be um, one of the top teams in the Eastern Conference, you know, if not the top team in the Eastern Conference at the end of the regular season. Um, You know, I I know there's a lot of focus on uh, Philadelphia and Boston. I mean, they played an amazing game last night, uh, by the way. I would say, I would say game of the year, but honestly, two games over the weekend, game of the year. Um, that one and also the uh, the Kings um, Clippers game, um, but I mean the Cavs are are not too far behind them, and and you can see the shape of why um, they're so good. Like obviously, so much of it starts with their guards. If not everything starts with their guards offensively, Garland and Mitchell breaking down their guys at the point of attack. Both guys know how to play off ball. Both guys know how to play on the ball. They're both skilled in the pick and roll. You got to be really really good. Um, across the board to guard these two guys in particular. And of course, they're getting solid screens from Jared Allen, who's, you know, um, I mean, he was awesome tonight as well. 23 points, 11 rebounds, a lot of transition dunks, a lot of great. I mean, look, he's only ever going to score on dunks and layups, but at the same time, you know, he, he's freeing a lot of these opportunities up with his offensive rebound and with this fact that he's running the floor hard as a big with his really, really solid screens to create two on one advantages for you know, their guards, which is going to lead to easy chances for Allen, considering the fact that the Raptors are going to obviously sell out and try to guard uh, Garland and Mitchell. And then Mobley's there, you know, and, and he's, he's he's able to throw in some, some points as well, though I thought he came on stronger late than he was in the start of the game. Um, but yeah, the Raptors just weren't able to guard well enough. And I, I would say it really comes down to the point of attack for me. Um, I just think that OG has done such a great job against Mitchell in the three other matchups. Um, that you just kind of almost take it for granted. I would say, like, you know, this is way back in November, and OG was leading the league in steals, and it was like, ooh, maybe OG Anobi, like Dark Horse Defensive Player of the Year candidate, maybe we get him on the all-defensive team. I think he even he was kind of saying it out loud, like, 
you know, that that's that's what he was aiming for was, you know, defensive player of the year. And, you know, when you think about, okay, what's in that case then? Okay, if you want to build that case, what's in that case? Donovan Mitchell was that case in, in a large part in terms of what OG was doing because he was he was just doing such a great job against him defensively. And, you know, I think since coming back from injury, since the, uh, you know, the all-star break, um, OG's been playing. Obviously, the shot hasn't really been there. I mean, tonight he didn't even have the ball to touch it. So it wasn't like I'm, I'm saying he wasn't able to hit shots today. Um, but he just hasn't looked sharp at all. He, he's just rusty. Um, you know, it is curious that like, okay, it's a wrist injury. It's not like an ankle or, or some sort of lower body injury where you can't necessarily keep up the, the sharpness or the conditioning. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, you can't deny the fact that if you're off for three weeks, you're going to be resting upon coming back. Having said that though, OG Anobi just could not guard Mitchell tonight. And that was, that was a huge difference. Uh, I'm, I'm not putting this loss on OG. I'm just trying to say that like, that was a, OG was a huge reason why the Raptors won three of those last games against Cleveland. And in this game, Mitchell was crossing him up, having, turning him around, getting to pull up threes and just building his confidence from the start of the game. You know, I, I think the way the Raptors were going to come in and beat Cleveland, if they had any chance of it tonight was to really, really play lockdown defense and to hold their guards and frustrate them in the way the Raptors have been able to do. Um, and they just didn't do that tonight. In fact, Mitchell and Garland both got tons of confidence early on. And, you know, they just were never really stopped. And, um, you know, I would say the Garland assignment was also tricky. Um, Scotty Barnes checking small, quick guards who are also as smart as Garland um, is always going to be a little tricky. Obviously, you need a lot of great communications as well, you know, with uh, your bigs. Uh, you know, being Pascal, in this case, who was guarding Mobley or Jacoproto guarding Allen. You need great communications because the Cavs are obviously going to run pick and roll. They're going to run, um, you know, double like stack pick and roll, you know, all sorts of random stuff um, that you would typically see to get your guards going downhill. And of course, a lot of those are not just one-on-one defensive assignments. You're having to guard as a team and the Raptors were lost in rotation a few times as well. Um, but ultimately, you know, I didn't think Scotty was able to, I didn't think Scotty guarded Garland very well. And I didn't think that uh, OG guarded Mitchell very well. And at that point, it's like, okay, so, okay, maybe you can let them score a little bit, but do you have some firepower? And of course we know the Raptors don't have firepower in this case. Like, you know, Fred being absent um, has left the offense looking very clunky. And that's not to say that, like, okay, um, j- just because if you would have Fred in there, the offense might look uh, or would look a lot better. I mean, there's no guarantee. You don't know. But at the same time, it does leave a big gap. Like, if you just look at the, the game itself, the Raptors offense, so much of it is predicated on somebody driving the ball, touching the paint, and then kicking it out and swinging the ball. Like, it's very, very simple stuff. Um but you that that is the principle one uh, upon the Raptors um, built their offense, and, and they have guys who are catch and shoot three point shooters like OG Anobi and Gary Trent Jr., who weren't really able to get into the looks tonight because the Raptors weren't able to go and touch the paint in the first place. And when you look at it, it's like okay, I understand that like you know the the numbers around Fred this year are not good. They're they're on, on, obviously they've rebounded since like a very slow start in October and November, you know. And when you look at it from like December onward, basically they're they're pretty good. But at the same time, it's like he's driving the ball 14 times a game. And a lot of those lead to offense for the rest of the team. Obviously you're also limiting your turnovers as well. I thought the turnovers were just an absolute killer for the Raptors in the first half, both Pascal and Scotty, very guilty on that front of just, you know, being way too loose with the ball, being too, way too casual with the ball. And the Cavs were just um, dunking the ball each time down the uh, break. Every single time you turn it over, you got low turnovers, you get the pick and roll playmaking, you got a guy who can shoot off the dribble, you got a guy who draws multiple defenders, which 
aside from Pascal, I don't know who on the Raptors really commands two defenders, you know, at all. And so you don't really have the firepower to match Cleveland as well. And so that's how this game started to go more and more away from Toronto. I would say the Raptors bench also didn't really give them the type of boost that you would have needed to see. Um, you know, it, it's it's it was a good opportunity for the Raptors bench because of the fact that, okay, look, Cleveland, it's not like their bench is just like scrubs or anything. But at the same time, like their bench wasn't doing anything as well. Um, in fact, when you looked at the box score at halftime, only four guys had scored for Cleveland, and it was their top four. It was Mitchell, Garland, Mobley, and Allen. Okoro wouldn't, hadn't done anything until he made some threes in the third quarter. Um, as the fifth starter, Dean Wade wasn't doing anything. Um, Ricky Rubio wasn't doing anything. He was in foul trouble as well. Karis LeVert didn't come in and really do much until the third quarter. So, like, you had a chance there. It's okay. Maybe your starters are getting beat by the Cavs starters, which is always going to be a big issue to overcome. But maybe your bench can pick you up. We also know the Raptors bench is not like that, right? We know the Raptors bench, they don't have that type of scoring. And and if you're thinking about energy base and something like that, the one thing Cleveland does have is is consistent size. They they got good size in the game at all times. Um, and especially with Mobley and Allen both playing, um, you know, typically really strong defense, you saw a lot of missed layups, you know, from the likes of Precious Achua trying to muscle his way in there. I mean, you're muscling your way against a much bigger player who are all pretty defensively sound, and they're not getting bad whistles either because they got good reputations defensively. You're not going to get any much there. And then Chris, you know, obviously he's going to get in the offensive glass, and he had a couple tough putbacks and all that kind of stuff is good. But, you know, there was never any consistent source of scoring off the bench. And so, you know, each time the Raptors tried to make that sort of push, I mean, it just wasn't really there. I would say the Raptors at least did a decent job in the first half of keeping themselves within the game. I mean, they, they were able to counterpunch a couple of times and, you know, um, the, yeah, like the scoring wasn't, ever consistent but at the same time you know like you you got a couple of like high low passes from Jacoproto to Pascal um Pascal dropped in a, a couple threes here or there I mean four threes for Pascal is very good um you know and even Jacoproto occasionally you know up and under and step through and and ones like that it's like okay they were doing just enough to sort of hang in there and you, you know you thought okay going into halftime being down 12 is not ideal but at the same time uh, can you really you know, put together a sharp third quarter, you know, make a firm push, get yourself back into the game. That would be the hope. And that's actually what happened. Um, the Raptors came out and the Cavaliers ended up having called the first time out after just 40 seconds into halftime. Um, the Raptors were able to get a three um, and then they were able to collect a steal and go the other way and break. And that cutting of the lead from 12 to seven in 40 seconds already warranted a timeout from J.B. Bickerstaff, who... That's that's very smart, right? If you're managing the Cavaliers and you're seeing your guys are, you know, locked in and Mitchell and Garland and doing everything that they're doing offensively and Mobley and Jared Allen are doing what they're doing defensively, you don't want to see your team let their foot off the gas pedal just because it's, it's coming out at half, right? Don't relax. Keep going. And even though the Raptors were able to get a couple of stops after that first time by Cleveland and the Raptors were actually able to cut the lead or deficit down to four, the Cavaliers went on a wicked run. And they pushed that lead up to 20 points by the point um, of the end of the third quarter. And, yeah, I mean, so much of that was Donovan Mitchell. So much of that was Darius Garland. And, you know, it's just they looked really dynamic, you know, on a team where, look, the Cavaliers are built very traditionally versus a team like the Raptors who are built very, you know, unorthodox, right? The Raptors have all sorts of forwards, and then they have some centers as well. Um, especially with Fred out of the game, you, you really only have one guard that you're consistently playing in, in Gary Trent and also, I guess, 
Um, actually, I should say that I should say two really because they did actually use a steady dose of Jeff Doughton Jr. off the bench as well. But realistically, you have a team of just forwards and centers versus a team that has a traditional starting five in terms of Jared Allen is your classic five, rim running five, shot protector, um, dunker, you know, hard rebounder, you know, screen setter. Evan Mobley is a very, very traditional four, pretty uh, a little bit bigger than your average four. A little more perimeter oriented than your average four, but still like very much a power forward. Isaac Okoro is, you know, just three and D defender. And and even the three isn't always there. And in a lot of the previous games, he wasn't shooting the ball well, but he's been shooting the three a lot better of late. And you see it, you see it today here. Two of those threes in the third quarter were just absolutely backbreakers because the Raptors um, were trying to leave him open. The Raptors were actually made a move at halftime where Nick Nurse switched up the defensive assignments. So he took Scotty off of Garland. He put Gary on Garland, and he put Scotty on um, Okoro instead. And my suspicion isn't necessarily just okay. Uh, Garland's having a great time against Scotty. We got to you know hide Scotty. I think it was actually different. I think tactically, what he wanted to do was put Scotty on Okoro, ignore Okoro in the corner, and have Scotty as a bigger six nine guy come over and, and be the third defender in the paint and, and try to come in and weak side and crash for some rebounds or. Um, block a couple of shots here or there, or at least deter or tag the roller or something like that. Like basically just have a bigger guy in the help position, as opposed to someone like Gary, who doesn't do much helping of anyone else defensively, actually, or offensively. But, um, you know, and, and but I mean, that didn't work. That that didn't work. Garland immediately got free and he totally dominated that matchup against Gary in the third quarter. I mean, not only was he able to score, he was also able to stuff Gary Trent at the rim a couple times. And it was like, man, Gary was having a really off night. Um, and then meanwhile, yes, you had Scotty helping way off of Okoro to sort of um, uh, clog the lane, but Okoro knocking down two corner threes. It's like, okay, well, you're, you're just out of luck in that situation, right? So but my point is, though, the Cavs actually have a really balanced roster when you look at it, right? Garland is a very traditional one. Mitchell's a very traditional two. They have a very, very normal starting five. Obviously, everyone knows their role, and they play really well together, and you saw that today. I mean, their top four just were awesome tonight. Versus the Raptors, and it's just like there was so little guard play for Toronto versus how much guard talent was out there for Cleveland. Like, even if you want to break it down to, okay, you know, I thought the foul disparity was 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 bad at the, the first half or the first quarter in particular. Scotty got stripped twice on, on at, the, at the rim, and I think both times there were fouls and they didn't call them. Um, and I really wanted those to be fouls because those were on Garland and Mitchell. Um, you know, Pascal was getting in there for no contact and no calls and all that kind of stuff. And meanwhile... You know, the Cavs are getting a couple of light calls at the start. At the end of it, you know, after the first quarter, it really balanced out. You know, the Raptors also take, took two techs in the game as well with Nick and um, and and Scotty both complaining. Um, but it really evened out after that point. But when you scrape away that, when you scrape away some of the other things in, in this game in terms of just like OG being rusty and not guarding Mitchell well or the Raptors struggling to find the matchups against Garland, um, the basic like difference in this game was just how much better guard play Cleveland had as compared to Toronto. And, you know, I, I think obviously it's, I mean, it's a function of the design, right? The Raptors really built a team specifically going away from guard play. That's not to say that if super talented guards or like if Steph Curry is available, that the Raptors would say, no, I'm sorry, we only want forwards. But at the same time, it is kind of interesting because from a team building philosophy, I mean, it's not like the Cavs had Donovan Mitchell all along. They got him in this offseason. And yes, the Raptors were also linked to Mitchell, but you never really heard that same kind of enthusiasm or noise 
both either from in terms of the reports of how the front office was moving or even just from the fan base. Like even on this show, we weren't like, oh, Donovan Mitchell's out there. We got to do everything we can to get him. Um, and the difference is in a game like this where it's like Garland is just freewheeling and getting his way into everything and the passing and the quickness and getting into tight gaps and serving guys up 11 assists, zero turnovers, plus 39, knocking down threes, getting everyone involved, getting the, the crowd hype. Just beautiful, beautiful guard play from him. And then Mitchell, I mean, some of the plays the Cavs had to run were just so simple. You just give the ball to Mitchell. You know, you have an, you have a really good defender in OG Anobi. Quick one-two crossover. OG is now shifted into a different area code, and Mitchell's just pulling up for three. Raptors don't have that kind of juice offensively, and that's because they don't have this type of talent. And so that's the big difference in this game. The guard play was just so good for Cleveland. Meanwhile, the Raptors got, I mean, I think there's a conversation they had about why Gary's struggling so much. Um, he had uh, seven points on two of 13 shooting, uh, only got five three-point attempts off, made one of those. Um, it was The one was a catch-and-shoot three from Pascal, which was good, uh, but the, he wasn't able to get to his spots at all. He wasn't able to work in the pick-and-roll, and that's just that part's disappointing because, you know, we've seen games where Fred has been out and Gary's had good offensive games. It's not to say that only Fred feeds Gary. I think Fred feeds Gary a regular amount. I think what's the different thing is without Fred in the lineup, somebody else now has to take that assignment of who's going to drive the ball. Again, just think about it like more conceptually. Forget all the stats and stuff like that. Just think about it conceptually, okay? This is why I like sports review stats because it, it puts things in a very tangible way. Fred VanVleet drives the ball 14 times a game. And the Raptors offense, so much is predicated on driving, getting into the paint, kicking it out, okay? Um, so with him out of the lineup, who is taking on those 14 extra drives? Right. And of course, some of that is like, okay, now Gary has to have them. He's he's getting these on ball reps as sort of a pick and roll player. Those pick and rolls went absolutely nowhere. Right. I mean, there was like him dribbling to mid range contested um, him, you know, driving and, and putting up the little hook floaters and all that kind of stuff. It wasn't really there. Again, Cavaliers have really good rim protection. Um, it was, but even like small, subtle things, like he wasn't really using the screen well. He wasn't setting up his defender before Jakob could sort of erase him and then get him an advantage. He wasn't really steady on a lot of these shot attempts that he was looking at. And then the pull-up threes were kind of just like all over the place, erratic, early, late, whatever. And yeah, when you, when you ultimately think about it, he just really couldn't get going at all. I mean, like, we know Gary's a very good scorer. We know Gary can really produce, but I think part of the, the production for Gary has been playing off of the other guys, catch and shoot, you know, transition, you know, um, curling off a, a, a down screen and then getting into the middle of the lane and keeping things very simple and making that read and either getting to that step back, which he's usually very good at from the mid range or going all the way to the basket, you know, keeping him in a very efficient role where he can finish rather than create big difference between creating and finishing. That's why you just can't compare efficiency across the board. That doesn't work like that. That's not how the game is played. Um, you know, but, Regardless, I think Gary has really struggled in both these games against uh, Detroit and also against Cleveland. Um, you know, I, I just think that his on-ball creation is something that's going to continue to limit him unless he gets better at it and makes himself more dynamic. And listen, if he does that, that changes a lot because all of a sudden then the Raptors have, you know, obviously they don't have Garland or Mitchell. I don't want to say Fred is as good as Garland. I definitely know that Gary's not as good as Donovan. But at the same time, you can have more of that dynamic playmaking um, from your backcourt, right? Because right now you really only have that from Fred, who, again, has been absent and the offense has really looked nasty. The other aspect is like, okay, so you have more on-ball reps for Scotty Barnes. Now, we, we've seen Scotty have a really, you know, up-and-down season in terms of just like his role has changed like month to month, right? Um, start of the season, he was more on-ball. 
Then he struggled with that. When Pascal was out, he really struggled with that. That's when the noise was the loudest. Then he sort of settled in. The guys got back into the lineup. Then he started playing um, more in that center role in terms of like, you know, setting the screen, you know, pick and roll action, um, making the next play, all that kind of stuff. He was looking really good there. And then, um, you know, Jacoperto comes in or Precious Achua comes in. They start playing center. Pascal, uh, Scotty starts playing more of like a three, four type of role. Um, you know, he's still able to sort of take over occasionally, but also it comes, it comes in spurts. He's not as involved, not as touching the ball consistently. And now we're back to a point where, okay, Fred's been out the last four games. Can Scotty create on the ball? And that's where, you, again, you start to see some of the limitations. I thought, there, and also the strengths, right? Because you, you did see some strengths in the second quarter where Scotty was able to uh, run a series of pick and rolls to to pretty good effect towards the end of the second quarter. Um, he found Jacoperto, um connected well on the pick and roll, um, you know, using Yak and then finding him, you know, cutting down the lane for a layup. Then Scotty came off the next screen against Jacopo, with Jacoperto. The Cavs were dropping back against them or they went under the screen or something. And Scotty took that space, got one foot into the paint and then launched a short hook shot, which he was able to score. And then the next time down, he was able to uh, get in for a quick post up and finish over the top. And it was like, well, those things were positive. But I think on on balance, you know, in terms of him breaking down the defense, getting into the paint, putting the pressure on the team, and then kicking it out to others, you just don't see that, you know, to the same degree as, you know, obviously with Fred. Now, of course, that's not to say that um, uh, there aren't other things that Scotty does that Fred doesn't. Obviously, Scotty coming in for two blocks, you know, rarely you're going to see Fred do that. Um, you're also, you know, just not going to see some of the other kind of passes where, you know, Scotty's able to look over the top and pass and stuff like that. But, I mean, at the same time, um, there is there is a there is a very noticeable difference in terms of who runs point and sort of what those results look like. I think there is something to be said about the fact that Scotty definitely um, passes gets off the ball quicker as a point guard than Fred. Um, but I, I think there is a bit of a difference in terms of like, okay, I'm going to get off the ball and give the ball to somebody in a position um, for them to then go versus the approach where Fred likes to break down his man beat that man beat the next guy and then kick it out to set up someone just to finish is a very different approach, right? It's like if I'm bringing the ball up and I'm just inputting the ball into the post and letting him kind of go from there. Like if I'm just coming in and just, I'm going to give it to OG and let OG attack and break down his man. I wouldn't necessarily say that that's a better style of playing point for this team because a lot of these guys aren't natural scorers, right? Only guys you really give the ball to and go is Pascal, right? Um, and when Scotty's in the mood, absolutely give Scotty the ball and, and he's able to go and start to attack. Those are the only guys on the team that really have that style. I think the other guys are more finishers, right? OG's much better when he's catching and shooting from in the corners. Um, or Gary Trent's much better catching and shooting. You know, Chris Boucher's much better finishing. Um, you know, Precious is much better finishing. When you just give them the ball and let them start to go, that's and, and trusting them to then create the advantage. I, I need I think it's gonna make the team look more uncomfortable offensively than it is. And maybe that's just a momentary adjustment, right? Because of the fact that you're typically used to playing with Fred and obviously he's had, had such a big role in the offense. Um, but still, a very noticeable difference. And and ultimately, like, you know, I, I think you, if you want to look at the bigger picture, again, I just think that Cleveland's team um, definitely has more talent than the Raptors across the board, especially because of the fact that, you know, Fred um, is absent. But even with Fred, I think, you know, Cleveland still has more talent across the board. And also, like, look, let's be honest. Yes, we beat them three times this year, but they're clearly a better team on the season. They have 39 wins, and they're comfortably going to make the playoffs. They don't even think about being in uh, potentially, you know, touching the 
the, you know, the, the play-in scenario or anything like that. They're just going to try to continue to chase up the standings. And they have really solid role definition. They have a lot of guys who really know what they're doing out there. And, you know, they have that kind of explosive scoring, which the Raptors, even at their very best, don't have that explosive level of scoring. The Raptors might have explosive moments defensively, but so do the Cavs. So, you know, at, uh, the bottom line is you, you playing your third game in four nights and second night of a back-to-back, you don't have Fred. You go into Cleveland, they're motivated. They've, they've been beat by you three times this year. They've been, you know, stuck in a funk recently as well. They come in and they jump all over you. Like, and that happens, right? That, that really does happen. So we don't have to overcomplicate it as much. But there are kind of interesting takeaways in every game. And, you know, I think in terms of some of the positives, I love seeing Pascal hit, you know, uh, four threes. Um, obviously, uh, again, another consequence of Fred being out. Okay, so forget the 14 drives. What about the eight or nine three-point attempts per game? Someone else has got to take those shots, right? And especially when Gary's not able to get those catch-and-shoot threes, and that's why his attempts are low or OG only two attempts, right? I know people like to make the little joke, so Fred doesn't pass to OG. I mean... I would love to look at the numbers and see who sets up OG for the most threes, but I, I got to say Fred is probably one or two. Um, but he wasn't able to get those kind of looks as well. And so a lot of it was on Pascal to sort of be the catch-and-shoot guy. And him making four threes is is, is positive. Um, you know, I think for Pascal, like, he clearly liked the Evan Mobley matchup, which is kind of, I mean, not a lot of people like the Evan Mobley matchup, but I thought Pascal was able to take it strong towards him and 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 finish a couple of jumpers and a couple of baskets around the paint around him. I mean that's been the case ever since Evan was entered the league last year, so I'm, I'm not necessarily surprised. But it is always very impressive to see it. That's not to say Evan hasn't stopped Pascal plenty of times as well. He has. He's a very good defender. Um, but still, um, I, I thought Pascal played his role well enough. I, I just the only thing I didn't like from Pascal was in the third quarter he started getting really frustrated and started foul baiting. And throwing his arms up and trying to get a call. I mean, the refs are never really going to be on the Raptors' side in in, in general. And, and to be honest, they shouldn't be, right? They should be completely impartial and, and, and just call it even. But that was not that style of game. It wasn't like Cleveland was also getting every call, especially after the first quarter when it really, you know, bothered the Raptors. It calmed down from that point onward. There were not a lot of free throws, not a lot of disruptions in this game. Pascal only got to the free throw line once. Yes, I'm sure that's low. But um, I, I didn't like how he was sort of foul baiting a little bit towards the, uh, the the end of the third quarter. But again, I mean, the game was already over at that point. Um, I also thought Jacoperto continues to be a positive. I mean, look, listen, I, I think defensively he was left alone on an island out there. Um, you know, I think OG wasn't really able to contain the ball. Um, Scotty wasn't able to contain the ball. Gary wasn't able to contain the ball. And when you're looking at scenarios where it's like Garland and Mitchell are coming downhill at you with Allen and Mobley ready to catch lobs, you're going to look a little bit tough defensively, but at the same time, I, I, I liked overall the way Jakob competed. I liked the high lows to Pascal. I'm, I can get used to that, you know, being uh, restored as one of the fixtures of the Raptors offense. You know, that's like two or three layups a game for Pascal. And you can tell where Pascal doesn't cut as hard with other guys, but I think he really trusts Jakob to sort of feed him. And so when you see Jakob get the ball in the high post, Pascal is cutting through so hard knowing that he's trusting that Jakob can get them that ball. And, of course, we saw that twice in the Pistons win as well in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, I, I like that Jakob has occasional, like, craft in the post, you know, a little up and under, step through and all that kind of stuff. It, it's it's very nice. And I like how much the Raptors went to Jakob in the high post today. I think they could probably still do it a little bit more. Um, and I think that um, the more some of the guys learn how to play with that, I think the better. Obviously, Pascal knows how to play with that cut back door. 
But there's also other benefits to Jakob catching the ball in, in the high uh, post. And, you know, I think Scotty first off, can do the same kind of cutting as Pascal does. Um, obviously, only one of them can kind of cut through because you don't want to just have everyone cutting at the same time and ruin your spacing. But, you know, I think Scotty can get a couple of cut baskets from that as well. I also think the other big beneficiary of watching a lot of Jakob Pertl tape is just like, you know, back when he was in San Antonio, him and uh, Doug McDermott had an amazing two-man game. And when you look at a lot of Jakob Pertl's assists, they were to Doug McDermott in terms of just like that dribble handoff in the middle of the floor. And they had a great um, chemistry on that front. And I don't see why Gary couldn't work in that same way with Jakob Pertl. I think it, it takes a lot of reps. I think it takes a lot of footwork. I think it takes a lot of like smarts in terms of two guys being on the same page in terms of attacking together. Um, rather than Gary mostly attacking by himself or mostly finishing. But still, I think that will be a really, really valuable pairing that we haven't actually seen any uh, fruit from that that combo just yet. Um, but yeah, overall, I, like, I really like what Yaku is doing out there. And I don't think he was at all one of the, I mean, he's he's going to get the second star for me. So um, look, whatever. The Raptors lose this game. They have an annual uh, breakdown in Cleveland. I'm not even going to talk about the uh, Lebronto years. But even post-Lebronto, when you think about 2019, um, you know, that game where Serge Ibaka choked out Marquise Chris out of nowhere at the end of the third quarter. Uh, I'm sure part of the frustration in that game was the fact that the Raptors, who won the title that year, lost to the Cavaliers, who won like 20 games that year by 25 points. Um, you know, I would think to Tampa, you know, when that was when the Raptors played in Cleveland, um, the one of the games, the, the second game, Gary actually had 44 uh, at that point, though, the Raptors and Cavs are both tanking. But the first time the Raptors played against Cleveland, they were trying to win. Pascal's having a bad game. Nick Nurse benched Pascal in favor of Pat McCall and also Stanley Johnson. And, and then the Raptors ended up losing that game. And then, of course, that's where post-game you heard those reports from Shams about how uh, Pascal and Nick you know, got into it. I mean, to be honest, I kind of have a better picture of sort of what went on there. And I do think it was kind of a nothing burger. But at the same time, the way it was reported definitely made it sound like you know, they fought each other or something like that. It definitely wasn't that. Um, but still, um, that was a game where the Raptors lost. And then if you think back to last season in Cleveland, that was just one of the most shameful games I've seen in terms of NBA products because of the fact that literally the Raptors went to that game with eight players. Four of the players were actual roster players. The other four were just G League guys signed in last second, thrown in. Um, just to make this thing work because the NBA rules are that you need to have a minimum of eight dressed players to play. And the Raptors played that game with like DJ Wilson, Tremont Waters, Daniel Otoru. Um, who am I forgetting in that group? One of the other guys that we, that we brought in. Um, and then, yeah, and then the Raptors mains were like Utah, Svi Mihailik, Chris Boucher, and Delano Banton. Um, and so the Raptors lost that game by like 50 points. Um, and it was almost a franchise worst loss. So like, look, once a year, they're going to have to lose against Cleveland in Cleveland, like at minimum, right? This is even post Lebronto. However, the Raptors also have good wins in Cleveland. Like the Raptors last time they played in Cleveland back in December with this team, they beat them. It was a really good win. Um, you know, think back to the years before that last year when the Raptors were going down the stretch and they needed a game, um, against Cleveland who had injuries in that time. And it was a battle between who was going to get fifth and sixth between Toronto and Cleveland and, and Chicago, Cleveland ended up losing out that game and that they ended up losing out on that push and they were, you know, dropped down to seven and then they didn't even make the playoffs after losing two playing games. So, you know, um, the Raptors have had good results in Cleveland, but uh, they've also had some stinkers and this is one of those stinkers. So in terms of the, the, the three stars from tonight's game, your first star is Pascal Siakam with 25 points, eight rebounds, five assists, uh, four threes as well. Took a couple more shots. I mean, listen, is I mean, <laughs> the Raptors shot 39% overall. Like, 
I'm not going to blame him for the extra shots. I, I don't like foul baiting, though, in, in, by anybody. And so it, it was kind of annoying to see that from Pascal. But I, I do see the frustration in this game. And he was trying to do what he can to lead the group. But, you know, it just it wasn't enough. Um, it happens. Uh, defensively, I would have liked to see a little bit better from Pascal as well. Um, let's be fair on that one. Uh, your, your second star is going to go to Jakob Pertl. 13 points, 9 rebounds, 3 assists, 2 steals, a block. 27 minutes, 5 of 6 shooting from the field, 3 of 3 from the free throw line. Um, strange scenario. So Donovan Mitchell drove to the basket and got called for an offensive foul, right? And, and obviously, we get to see the replay at home. And we're like, okay, well, clearly Donovan Mitchell led with his knee into Jakob Pertl's groin. And so that's an offensive foul. And then Nick, uh, and then JV Bickerstaff on the Cavs was very enraged, called for the review because actually it was Mitchell's fourth foul midway through the third quarter, and the Cavs had all the momentum, so he whistled for the review. And the refs went to look at the tape, and they were like, "Wait a second! Not only did we call this correctly, but we called this incorrectly in the sense that we need to give more penalties to Cleveland, considering a knee to the groin is a flagrant foul." And so they actually came out of that review with more penalties for Cleveland rather than less. Um, so very, very hilarious scenario in terms of a review backfiring on Cleveland. They would have gotten away with it and no flagrant, um, but still, Pogaperto went to the free throw line and made two, which is this is good. Obviously, he's been missing a lot of the free throws. So um, good game for Yak. It just it obviously wasn't enough, man. Yak's not going to win the game alone for you. And then your third star, I mean, that's going to be tough. I'm, I'm going to give it to Jeff Down. I've, I've liked what Jeff Down has done here. I mean, he cooled off a little bit, um, a little bit, a lot. Um, but, you know, I, I like him coming in and, and banging in a pull-up three at the end of the shot clock. I like him taking it to the basket a couple times. I like him, you know, using, um, you know, a snake dribble, getting into the lane, keeping the defender behind his back, and then shooting a little mid-range pull-up. I just like the overall aggression from him offensively. You needed to see more of it uh, with guys out. And, of course, the Cavs were able to lock in on him, and he didn't do anything the second half. But um, I've liked what I've seen from Jeff. So, yeah, Jeff is with seven points, two two assists, and a rebound is your third star. That's the type of game that it was. Um, In terms of your Gerald Henderson Award winner, um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's all the Cavs guys who are good played good for the Cavs. So, um, I, I, I don't even know. I, you know what? I'm going to give it to Okoro because, you know, as part of that third quarter run, like you just needed somebody to start missing the shots and the Raptors were leaving Okoro open intentionally to try to load up in the paint and he knocks down those threes. Those are backbreakers. So for his eight points, he's going to get the Gerald Anderson award, but truly it was Cleveland's top four was, was, was very much a top four. And the Raptors had like one and a half with Pascal and, and, and Yak. So that's just not going to be enough. So that does it for the Reaction Podcast. Thanks everyone for listening. As always, continue to rate, review, and subscribe to the program. And uh, yeah, listen to the Raptors show. We're back on air Monday to Friday from 2 to 3 p.m. So uh, check that out. We'll have lots of interviews um, and uh, lots of laughs, even though the Raptors are, you know, continue to be up and down. But they are playing better of late. And um, yeah, we'll track all that progress. So thanks everyone for listening once again. And uh, signing off. Thank you.